L-A-S. The LAS Podcast Network is an independent network of local creators based in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. For more, visit LASPodcastNetwork.com. Hey, I'm Logan. Hey, I'm Logan. You're supposed to say that you're Tim. Don't tell me what to do. You're not my real dad. (laughs) We're the hosts of a brand new podcast called From One Dad to Another. Each week we tackle a new topic, interview local professionals, and attempt to decode modern parenthood one dad joke at a time. So make sure to join us every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. From One Dad to Another is produced and distributed by the LAS Podcast Network in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. For more on our independent podcast network, visit LASPodcastNetwork.com. And if you want to support the show and get some bonus content, behind-the-scenes looks, and even get the show ad-free, you can become a member of our Patreon over at patreon.com slash LASPodcastNetwork. And if you don't, I won't be mad, but I will be disappointed. (laughs) Oh, and one last thing. You're doing great, and I'm proud of you. L-A-S. Hello, guys, and welcome to The Innovative Creative, a designer, a podcast dedicated to helping designers and clients better understand design using an alternative way of thought. I'm your host, Devin, and today we have a special guest on the podcast. His name is Matt Arnold. He's also a designer. And Matt, could you talk a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Hey, Devin, thanks so much for, for having me on your show. And uh, hello to everybody out there that's listening. Basically, I am a... Uh, a designer and innovator and have been working in uh, mostly digital design uh, early in my career, moving to business transformation, uh, but have been in the design space for about uh, 25 years, live in Iowa City, and I also uh, teach an innovation class uh, at the University of Iowa. Nice. That's awesome. That's really legit. Um, could you go in a little bit more about the, uh, the class that you teach? Yeah, the class is called uh, Leading Innovation, and the context is really uh, how do uh, people innovate within the enterprise. So it differentiates itself from maybe from a, a startup or more entrepreneurial track to how do organizations that are really good at sustainable innovation that they do it over and over again. You know, you think of some of the companies that uh, are almost stereotypical in that space, right? Amazon and Apple, how do they continue to produce uh, good work? And then why, unfortunately, do so many organizations struggle? And so we, we look into to those, examine those. And then also I, I have my students actually work, uh, part, of, part of the theory and practice of the course is that they do break out into teams and they have a team project, a team problem that they're trying to solve. And then we use a lot of uh, design centric methods to understand and attack a problem space, to prototype, do research, and, and uh, see how we might might conquer a, a design challenge. That's awesome, actually. Um, you mentioned that the bigger companies, they kind of like innovate all the other time and stuff like that. What's your uh, take on that? I know that Matt came out with a more or less uh, new MacBook with a notch and things like and all that other stuff. Um, I know this may be a little bit getting off topic, but I kind of want to know your uh, <laughs> your your opinion on uh, that whole design and innovation and kind of going from there. 
But it, just like thinking about Apple in in general, or or more specifically, just uh, the uh, some of the hiccups that they've had with the MacBook. Um, actually, both, if you don't mind. Yeah, no, I think I think overall, if you zoom out, I mean, Apple has been able to do some uh, phenomenal things over the past uh, twenty years, and uh, why I admire them from an innovation perspective is looking at what they've they've done. I mean, there's Apple TV. They're creating content uh, through through what was iTunes and now Apple Music, and uh, what they were doing through the iPhone as well for for app development. I think if you look back at them as an organization, you know, 20 years ago it was really their their computing company. They're building hardware, integrated hardware and software. Right, that was part of their their gig, and uh, why people either love them or hated them is uh, you. It's it's harder to customize. Uh, an Apple product, right? Versus like an IBM clone computer or an ad- Android phone. And sometimes you risk uh, bricking your device if you hack uh, it too much. But, uh, you know, I think it still goes back to a Steve Jobs philosophy that design is how the whole thing works and really looked at how does this whole system come together. And so overall, I've been super impressed with with Apple as somebody that has had a variety of MacBooks over the the years. I am still lamenting the uh, USB-C ports and not not having a lot of uh, direct connection. So I, I feel like, well, sometimes it looks elegant. It it has taken a few steps back uh, regarding you know my user experience and trying to get work done. Yeah, I can agree with you on all of that. Considering that Apple does innovate and they do do a lot of things to kind of like put themselves out there as a design as a whole. I've used them as a example in uh, a few of my episodes, so I can relate with you on most of that stuff. But not to get too far off topic, um, could you go into a little bit of detail about how you, you know, like your whole design process, including innovation, if you don't mind? Yeah, so I think you know a lot of a lot of my kind of uh, design process is really uh, for me uh, good design and, and innovation. They're, they basically share a lot of the same characteristics of what you're trying to do. Yeah, right. And starting out with you know, who who are you designing for? That there there's some form of a customer, a user, a beneficiary, and what are they trying to do? And you know, for me, the the label I use on that is goal based. Right? Just what are they trying to do? What are they trying to accomplish? And even better, if you know, what do they think they'll do if they reach that goal? But being able to articulate their goals in the form of a problem statement, I think one of the things that makes maybe designers a little bit more unique is you know we do focus on on problems first, then solutions. And I think sometimes problem sounds like a bad word or maybe that you have a, a negative pessimistic attitude, but actually you know, the feeling and with my the design teams that I've led and with my students really try to encourage people to fall in love with the problem, not the solution. Because if you're falling in love with the solution, it becomes this ego-driven activity where you're trying to prove you were right where if you're looking at the problem, you're always looking at ways that you might solve it with the tools that you have. Um, and, you know, so for me, then the design process is also driving for clarity, right? And, and accuracy and alignment. What do we accurately understand the problem, the customer need, and then how do we align around that? And so roughly that, you know, takes you on this journey from really trying to understand 
the concrete, what is going on right now? What, what is the here and now phenomena to, do we understand the people, the context in which, you know, they're trying to achieve their goals, where those problems are setting. And then can we frame those insights? And, and then we start to look at potential solutions and uh, like one simple model that we use in that too is uh, the double diamond Right, where it's it's a diamond on the left would be the problem, the diamond on the right would be the solution, but the the diamond shape is also indicating where you're going to flare and focus or diverge and converge. And so, trying to go wide as you understand the problem, then articulate that problem in in a really good problem statement, and then see what you know different solutions could work. And also, as you're going through that, as you go from kind of the abstract back to the concrete that you're making things, right? It's prototyping and experimenting. And through that, right, um, as a, a one of my teachers taught me the way to think through prototyping, you know, a few things is uh, one is you build to think and, and then build to decide, right? And you're using this pro like, are we thinking about this the right way? And usually those are really low fidelity uh, prototypes. Those could even be uh, stories. They could be storyboards. They could be sketches on a whiteboard or in a notebook to like really detailed uh, where you're building to decide. Now you're looking at trade-offs, right? In digital space is what type of interaction do we want? Uh, can we deploy that code immediately to do that? Or would that take time, right? That might be a decision we need to make. Or you might be making decisions on materials if it's, if it's something really physical. But really then prototyping and experimenting and then, you know, seeing, seeing how well it worked, but being able to work through that process and, and test your ideas. And a lot of it is, is building to, to learn, you know, I said, think and decide, but uh, as we, as we go through the process itself, especially in innovation, because we're exploring the unknown, right? We have to keep learning. And one of the ways that we're doing that is, is always having a, a building learning mindset. Sorry, I'm rambling there. I hope that made sense. No, it did. Um, I honestly thought it was uh, enlightening and everything. Um, uh, kind of learned some things along the line of that whole conversation, that whole just big thing. It was a lot, by the way. But uh, I, I get yeah. what you're saying. <laughs> I get what you're saying. Like innovation and design, while they're, uh, they they do have some similarities, they're kind of completely different. You kind of really just have to figure out the puzzle pieces and then you move on with it and then try to figure out the um, figure out what the problem is and kind of go from there. I really do appreciate you uh, talking about the problem as well. Like, I guess the biggest thing when it comes to design for me is trying to figure out the problem and then finding a solution to the problem. Sometimes I go outward in and I'm not a perfect designer. Uh, I, I, I don't tweet myself as one, but just trying to, uh, trying to like, work on something from the outside in versus the inside out is almost next to impossible when it comes to design or creation in general. So I agree with you on all of that. Yeah. And I think too is, um, you know, another, another kind of general principle that I try to use, you know, like you're saying outside in and inside out is also, uh, zooming in and zooming out, right? Like if we, if we get really close to this, what are we noticing? Or if we zoom way out, right? What do these patterns make sense and do these things hold up and then trying to think about that object or thing that we're designing is also, does it, does it still hold up when it's, when it's in its next larger context? Uh, right. So if we're, we're designing a, spe uh, you know, a specific 
uh, application? Does it fit into the suite of applications that you know a, a particular brand might have? But so that we're we're not deviating. And you know, another big thing for me on design is uh, intentionality, right? We're we're intentionally making choices. Uh, so and and we know why we made the choice, and and even not you know say no is making a choice. We we might choose not to do something. But when we're we're laying out the problem and potential solution is that we we know why we're we're doing the work, and I think that's one of the actually the big challenges in uh, designer and client relationship is sometimes it might appear like a designer is dragging their feet, mm-hmm. right? It's like that because people want to jump to a solution, right? And I think most of us are are natural problem solvers. We want to we want to jump to the uh, the solution, but ironically, when we're working with really complex systems and in trying to design better outcomes, uh, sometimes what looks like a simple answer can actually make the situation worse. So, again, taking taking the time to can we articulate the problem? Are we agreeing that this is the problem before we jump into a solution? And then, you know, how might we we test? And as I mentioned, going divergent, it doesn't mean that it, it can't happen quickly. Right. It, but it's it's making the time and space within in the time and budget allowed to make sure we do look at potential options and then jump to, uh, you know, articulating, framing that that problem statement. And then also what might be the solution and, and testing those. Yeah. Um, wow. So <laughs> you have a lot of insight as far as uh, design and innovation together and. That is exactly yeah. Yeah, that is exactly the reason why I wanted to have you on po- on the podcast because like um, <laughs> trying trying to uh, don't get me wrong like I said I'm not a perfect designer trying to innovate something that is yeah. on the web is is not an easy it's, it really is not an easy thing and um I, I'm glad that you're speaking from both perspectives as well considering that the whole podcast the whole reason why I started this podcast is so clients and designers can help understand it so I appreciate uh, once again I appreciate you being on the show and being here and, yeah uh, sharing your insight uh, based on uh, what you've done and what you experience but yeah thank you I really appreciate it no this is this is great and uh, yeah on the on the on the client side, one of the things I might say that um, from a design and client perspective, so I'm kind of curious how this might resonate uh, with you, but okay. I remember early in my career, uh, one of my mentors telling me that the, the first time you're working with a new client, it feels like 75% of the job is just not getting fired because <laughs> going through discipline design process that it's not comfortable. They might not know, but once they experience it, then they come back. I would say um, like the second half of my, my career, like I've, I've been doing this for about 25 years, mm-hmm. I have more return clients than I do like new clients. And the new clients are usually because they talk to somebody. Um, so it alleviates that. But I know when, when working with a new client, one of the things that, that I do is I actually have a one pager that walks them through my design approach and where it might feel uncomfortable. And we actually have a conversation up front to, to, to almost from wayfinding and showing them like, when we get to this point, there's probably going to be some discomfort, but that's part of the process. And that, you know, because we need to drive for clarity and driving for clarity is hard for folks because a lot of people don't want to admit that they don't know. Um, but I, I still think like a good designer, it's more the, um, the mindset of the, 
the explorer, like, let's, let's go find out. It's not that you're saying no, it's like, I don't know. You're just saying, I don't know. And let's go find out. And so a lot of the complex design projects too, really, if that's where you, you need to embrace teams and, and, and getting multiple perspectives, because I don't have, I don't have the answers. I can tell you what's worked and not worked in particular contexts. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's certain domain knowledge and principles that you build, but yeah, not, I think the, uh, one of the main things too is uh, a sense of humility for the designer. I think sometimes we, we think of design and we might think of stereotypical images that we might see on TV of, right. Basically, you know, kind of the, the design asshole, right. That yeah. they, they have a strong vision and they're going to do these things. Uh, and really a lot of, for me, a lot of good design, especially in, in addressing complex problems is how well you're able to facilitate a sense of trust and vulnerability to explore areas together. I agree with every, every bit of that. And I wanted to kind of like maximize on the, uh, the explorer mindset too. Like you said, basically just trying, like, just because you don't know, doesn't mean that you don't want to know, or it's a bad thing. Uh, I agree with you on that one. One of the things that I do with my clients is I give them the, I give them the ability to let them know that, Hey, this is a process that not everybody knows. Um, and there's going to be some things that we need to talk about and that's perfectly fine. So if you have any of those things, there's no stupid questions. Uh, there's absolutely no stupid questions when it comes to design. That's one of the things that I like to do in particular only because it makes it so that way it's easy for, easier for me to communicate with them. And it makes it so that way they're more comfortable about the situation because this guy definitely knows what he's talking about. If they, what's the word I'm looking for? If they, or phrase, uh, if they've already been through it or like done it, done the work and they have a lot of experience and kind of just going from that uh, standpoint. So the explorer mindset, uh, I, I relate to that a lot. That is one of those things that I, I, I love to explore when it comes to design or just in anything in general. Um, so that's something I can say I resonate with a lot. Yeah, and I, I think another thing along the lines of uh, humility and, you know, again, the, in the te- intentionality of the design process, another thing I like to do is use um, what I call sacrificial objects. Um, so, uh, one, one of the other terms I use for it is just like a shitty first draft, (laughs) but, uh, I, I purposely put out prototypes so that people can poke holes in it. I also like to put comparative things together, uh, especially with clients is it, it is really hard, even if you're a designer to create something new, or brand new, but one of the things I th- I believe humans are just really well wired to be uh, critics, and I don't mean that in a bad way. But we, when we see something, we experience it. We can say, "I like it," "I don't like it," and when pushed, we can say, "Why?" Right. And so, using using objects and prototypes for uh, for projects to get people to react. So, um, you know, sometimes that is just just putting out. Uh, it could be whether it's low fidelity design or high fidelity, like images from a site um, that that you know you're thinking about um, taking things for for you know, that might be different forms of inspiration. So uh, in the past, a lot of projects I did were related to data visualization and mm-hmm. and how do people understand uh, basically what assessments and tests might be telling them about their performance and their opportunities. 
And in one particular project, to, like early on after doing c- some customer discovery and looking at things, right, we even set up um, two different ways that people t- might tend to talk about data. And one is in more of a, like a newspaper article or a, a journal. And another is like in an infographic. And we, we played with some of those ideas for a while just to get, get the client to react, also get customer feedback. And it, not that we were going with either or, it was just what are the elements that, that tend to work in these? What are the ones that don't? And uh, so an, another big thing, and I think that to me, again, kind of that humility and that there are no bad questions is putting, putting things out there for people to poke and prod at. And uh, some of my uh, you know, co-conspirators and collaborators that I've been really lucky enough to work with over my career, some of them have been formally trained in art school. And um, a lot of times in art school, you know, in studio, uh, you're working with materials. And, you know, some of the things you're, you're just seeing is what material is good, what can it do, but you're, you're actually like banging on it, you're bending it, you're working to see what it can do and can't do. And I think when we look at a lot of almost design layers, like the presentation layer, or, you know, I, I know, you know, you're full stack. So doing, uh, even doing code and development. But if we even look at digital code as a material, what does it do well? What doesn't it do well? Where does it break? You know, understanding those, then we can also more elegantly put pieces together. Right? Again, kind of going back to that jobs idea of how the whole thing works mm-hmm. for our design. How do we want to structure all of these things? And while we're doing that, we're still making making choices right? to you know, deliver deliver on time, <laughs> a happy customer that, you know, getting something on time, uh, yeah. at or under budget. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't, uh, I agree with you with that. Like the, the, everything about just like getting to that process and the end point, um, just means that people need to, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, people need to work with you in order to get to that. And when you said more, uh, more or less, uh, you put out prototypes out there for people to poke holes through, um, that was that reminded me of a conversation that I had on your podcast. I think it was about um, art and sub, yeah, yeah uh, sub, uh, art is uh, subjective kind of thing, and just kind of like talking about that, like yeah, art and art and design are not are not synonymous is something that we agreed on, but like uh, design right. and art is pretty much subjective. So you doing that, like putting that out there, that's something I didn't even think of like that is that that literally blew my mind i'm <laughs> i'm a like yeah. i'm a you have a lot of experience and i really appreciate that um i'm just i'm just mind blown about like doing something as uh, simple as that to kind of like get client feedback to kind of like get them i uh, get them uh in the position to uh like give them feedback uh, give you feedback and then get more information about what their problem is and then find a solution for it with the second iteration or third iteration if it takes that long Right. Yep. Yeah. And that's, um, that was one of the things maybe earlier in my career that I learned was, um, you know, cause it's different when you're doing design within a company, uh, because I, I think you have more space for iterate, like say if you're a designer at Apple or Amazon versus where you or I might be working with, with clients. And, uh, early in my career, I didn't put a cap on number of iterations that, that we might have. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes that, that you can, you can just spin forever if, if you feel like, um, anytime that we, we need a change, we'll change it. And so to your point, like, is, 
is like talking about the maybe the number of prototypes that we might develop, the number of uh, you know for for a web application, you know try try to you know is it is it more of a a style sheet issue? And I'm gonna I'm gonna give you five different page types, and and with within those we'll have three ma- major iterations. It, and that, that, those are those are things over time where just trying to put boundaries on it. I agree with you on that one. Um, I don't tell a lot of people this, but I don't have a revision cap. And the reason why I don't have a revision cap is uh, because the way I work with the client uh, requires me to not have a revision cap because there's a there's a clear and concise vetted way for the client to get to me because it's usually through word of mouth. And. Working with yeah. them and them uh, trusting me in order to get the point where they need to be is is crucial because if if that's out of the way, then we won't have a lot of revisions. And I'll tell them, hey, you get a lot of revisions, but we want to make sure that we get an end product that you like and kind of go from there. But sometimes it ends up biting me in the butt. Sometimes it, it, it most of the time it's really good. But that's something that uh, I haven't necessarily like, I, I never, like I did it once and people were mad at me because I did it and I just didn't want to like can go back to it. So I commend you for having like uh revision caps throughout the process and kind of like moving from there. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, it, it's just what's worked for me. And that was a reaction to certain, certain projects where a client is, just continually asking for minor tweaks and, you know, oh, and another, another thing that I would add to that is over time is, you know, basically uh, as, as politely as possible, you know, letting the client know on some of these things is that uh, one, they're not their customer. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's one of the things I think designers uh, get in trouble with. We are not the customer and, and trying to avoid self-referential design. All right. So uh, being able to test, the, the product with customers. Um, and, and the, you know, another, another statement that I learned in a different realm was basically that, that, that sounds like a uh, great topic for research, not debate. And so if we're getting stuck on something and it's more, it, it seems like it's more opinion than, than backed up by data. Let's, let's go test it with customers, right? Is it, uh, or is it that the, the task, the button, for lack of better terms, isn't discoverable? Is it that the flow doesn't make sense? Is it that the, the information architecture, the taxonomy uh, isn't making sense? And, you know, there are, there are so many quick and easy ways to test at no matter the level of fidelity you're at, there are so many easy ways to test different things uh, that that's just another way to basically try to avoid some of the, the internal debate that a client and a designer may have. I can, I can agree with that. That is a, uh... The, yeah, the internal debate of a client versus designer standpoint. Oh my gosh, we could go into that for like days, but it, uh, more or less working with a client and doing the things that you need to do in order to, you know, get to the end product should mean that you are working with them. And yeah, you're right. You're not the customer. You're not the person that wants to, uh, you're not the person that's uh, not necessarily going to be buying this product. So you got to see it from a um, big overview and standpoint and kind of like create something that is more for their their customer group. And that means uh, outsourcing other minds and kind of like 
understanding how that user flow and user experience would go if someone would look at that logo or a particular piece of design and be like, oh, this fits me. So that makes a lot of sense. But yeah, um, I wanted to. Yeah, and, oh, and ahead, right, at the end of the day, I was just going to say, and at the end of the day, it's their pain for it, right? So, I mean, it's conversations too, is like, could be, you know, I'd, I'd advise against this or I'd advise that we test, but, you know, if you're paying and, and you strongly believe that this is a representation of the brand that you want, I can't argue that, right? And so, again, it's like trying to, trying to you know, from a good practice, here's why I think uh, this is either a good idea or, or a bad idea, but at the end of the day, it, it's their call. Yeah. Right. So when when we get into some of those, it's like, you know, it it could be from is it clashing colors? Is it from uh, the tone doesn't evoke the brand that you <laughs> yeah. want? You know, when we talk about brand experience, it seems that this is counter to what you're trying to accomplish. But if it feels right to you, cool. And that's where I'm at too. Um, there are times where I design something for a client, and I'm like, huh, I don't like that. I don't like it, but it fits them, but I don't like it. And it's usually the, I don't like it almost, uh, intercedes over the, but it fits to them and trying to like get into your inner designer and let your designer, inner designer know, be like, Hey, it's fine that you don't like it. You're paid to do a service. You're paid to make something that is, is beautiful for them and for their client base. That's perfectly fine if you don't like it, but if the client likes it and it it fits their demographic, then go right ahead, deliver that, ship it, go from there. (laughs) Right, right. But yeah, um, with that being said, uh, is there anything else you would like to talk about? Uh, Well, you know, I think just, you know, for me from uh, when we had a chat a while back too, right, the the difference between art and design and Mm -hmm. and there, yeah, there, there's a lot of overlap uh, with those and, you know, I've just been thinking a little bit more too about the role of, of, of good design. And uh, I think for, for most folks, one of the things that I would, would share is, is most, most design should actually be invisible that uh, the user, the customer is, they're in the flow of accomplishing their goal uh, and they're not noticing the design because it's working, right? That like when you think about a website where it's easy to use, it's easy to understand what I need to do, where I need to go, um, you know, that that they're not stopping and thinking about it. And so in, in many ways, a lot, of, a lot of things I find interesting about good design is, is the extent to which it, it really isn't noticeable. Uh, where a lot of you know, maybe maybe good architecture, that type of design, but a lot of artwork, I mean, it, it is there to be um, consumed. It is there to be noticed. But a lot of times when we're, we're doing good service design or doing good digital design, mm-hmm. a lot of it is actually invisible at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, I hate and love that aspect. Uh, Cause like I want, <laughs> I want my art to be seen, yeah. but at the same time I want it to be uh functional. And I think I want it to be functional more than seen. Well, I wouldn't say art, but more so design. I want my art to be seen. That's a, that's a whole nother story. Absolutely. <laughs> right, right, right. But um, yeah. So I figured we could uh kind of like uh, end at, on, end on that note. Um, But I would like to know, is there any way people can find you on your social media channels and kind of go from there and like, where, where can people find you and where can people yeah. get in contact with you? Yeah, thanks. So, uh, my, my company, uh, uh, 
for design and innovation is called Spark Consulting Group. And uh, it can be found at uh, inspiredbyspark.com. Uh, and I'm Matt Arnold on LinkedIn. I know there it's it's a somewhat common name. There's a lot of Matt Arnolds, but Matt Arnold based in Iowa City. And on Twitter, I'm just A underscore Matt underscore Arnold, uh, Matt with two T's. Uh, and so those are most of the places that you can find me. And uh, in a shameless promotion kind of way too, I, uh, if your listeners are interested in design and innovation. I also host a podcast called the Iowa idea podcast, where I talk to uh, designers like Devin. I talk to <laughs> innovators. I talk to creatives. I talk to a lot of people about how they approach their craft, how they became interested in it. And so if, if stories around uh, design and innovation and art are interesting to your listeners too, uh, they can always uh, find, find my podcast, which is called the Iowa idea podcast. Yeah, and by all means, go listen to his podcast. I listened to a few episodes myself. They are really good. Um, it's just it's just all around just a just a great place to be. Great things, great things to listen to. And you pretty, I'm pretty sure you'll learn a few things if you're a designer. But yeah, thanks, Devin. I appreciate that, and I always always appreciate the uh, the opportunity when we have a chance to sit down and chat. Yeah, same. If they want to reach out, they can they can send emails to info i n f o at inspiredbyspark.com alright guys that's all I got time for and with that being said thank you guys for listening if you guys have any other questions about the topics or just questions in general shoot me an email at questions at innovatorcreative.fm if you like the show hit the follow button on Spotify Apple Podcasts and wherever you listen to podcasts you can also listen on the website at lespodcastnetwork.com slash theinnovatorcreative and innovativecreative.fm also, if you want to support me and local other creatives like me, subscribe to LES Plus. You get exclusive content, ad-free episodes, discounts at the events, and much more. For more information on LES Plus, go to lespodcastnetwork.com slash plus. All right, guys, until next time, clients and designers, keep innovating. Peace. The LAS Podcast Network is an independent network of local creators based in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. For more, visit LASPodcastNetwork.com. LAS.